0: Well, howdy. How we doing? Yeah? You guys miss your mommies yet? Oh, she would be, she would be so hurt if she heard you say that. Uh, Here's what I'd love to do. For the next 25 minutes, I want to talk to you about something that truthfully does get talked a lot about in church settings. So if you're a If you're a church kid, if you're here, you're a regular, active part of your youth group, this subject matter may be familiar to you, but the subject matter could be something that maybe makes you feel guilt, shame. Ah, this is an area of my life I know I need to spend more time, more focus, more effort, more energy doing. Set that aside, okay? And if you're not a church kid, we're going to talk about something that that truthfully for you could, could be a stumbling block. This could be an area of great confusion in your life because of, of what it is we're going to talk about. Okay, so here's what I want to do. Next 25 minutes, fresh start. Okay, because the, the thing I want to talk to you about tonight, the thing that I want to get to the bottom of, what is the truth about this subject, is the Bible. If you have a Bible, hold it up in the air for me. Okay, now I want you to take that Bible and I want you to open up to John chapter 1. Same place we were last night, just a few verses later. John chapter 1. I'm going to read some passages to you, and then we're going to pray together, okay? So once you're in John 1, look up at me. We'll get ready to go. John 1. John 1. Here we go. It sounds like this. John 1. We're going to start at verse 19. It says now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They looked at him and asked, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. And finally they said, Then who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way. For the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent to question him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. Where John was baptizing. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask you tonight to send your spirit of truth into this room. That that same Holy Spirit would reveal to us more about your character, more about your love, more about your kindness. Would you teach us tonight, God? We're up here at camp. Some of us having the best time ever. But we're not just here for the best time ever. We're here to be transformed, and that can only happen when we come face-to-face with you, Lord. So tonight, would you speak to us? Would you teach us? Help us to understand this book, this oftentimes misunderstood book that has a lot to say about who you are. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 So I got a question for you, okay? Don't talk right away when I ask the question, okay? Just think for a second, and then I'm going to call on you for a response, all right? Here's... The question I have for us tonight. During the pandemic, so the last two and a half years, did you pick up any new hobbies? Yeah? Have you learned any new skills, gotten into anything new? Yeah? Over here, green bandana guy. Uh, Start doing devotions. devotions. Way to go. Heck yeah, man. I'll just clap. It's just me. That's fine. Awesome. Yeah, right here. One more time. The ukulele or the... Ukulele. Which one? Cause Right here. Good job, by the way. Yep. Learning how, to ride a dirt bike. Learning how to ride a dirt bike. Nice. Yes. Start going to church more. Congratulations. Right here. Tried to memorize Deuteronomy. Hats off. Way to go. Congratulations. Well, well hang on. Before we clap, how far did you get? Okay. All right. He's honest. I like it. He got to the third sentence. Yeah. Red shirt. Face your fears, what were your fears? Like skydiving or swimming with sharks? <laughs> Trying new things and stuff, I like that, that's amazing. Uh, yes, blonde, curly hair, red shirt, yeah. I swam with you swam with whales? Dang, way to go. This is why, uh, this is why I like you guys. Deuteronomy guy, devotions, church, no clapping. But swimming with whales, everyone's like, I approve of that. That is good behavior. Uh, uh, let's go. Yes, blue on the end. Real loud for me. Water polo. Nice. Yes. Yep. Started journaling about your faith. Amazing. Not as cool as swimming with whales, apparently, but I like it. Good job. Awesome. Uh, Let's do 3 more. We'll start here right on the end. Yep. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. Okay, right here though, purple. I learned how to play piano. how to play piano? Awesome. Okay, everyone's pointing at you in the very back. Yep. This better be good. Wait, one more time? He stole stole her moment. Okay, now, young lady in the back, real loud for me. You started painting, good job, good job. Okay, right here, just because you guys are all very excited, yep. One more time. She's learning self-defense, I like that, that's awesome. Uh, Okay, now, the reason I ask this question is because I myself took up a hobby during the pandemic, and it's something that truthfully it changed my life, okay? And it's something that maybe some of you or maybe your parents or your friends have gotten into, but for me, the thing that really, really shaped me over the last two and a half years, the hobby that has really become a bad habit, if I'm honest with you, okay? is buying stuff on Amazon that I absolutely do not need. Like, don't need it at all. Don't even need it a little bit, okay? And there's something, there's something about like, seeing something that someone has, and then like, like Inspector Gadget, like you Google it and you find it, and then you go on there, and then they get you every time where it's like, we'll arrive at your door tomorrow by noon, and you're like, I, I gotta have these nunchucks. I have to. And then, and then the ring, anyone have the ring app? Yeah, and so then the ring app goes off and you're like, Santa's here every single day. I mean, I bought so much junk I didn't need. After a little while I was like, we gotta, we're wasting money here, we gotta simmer down. Here's the issue though, that same concept, that same bad habit was picked up by my youngest son, Max. He's nine years old, okay, he's nine years old. And two weeks ago, Max handed me a fistful of wadded-up single-dollar bills. Where he got this money, I'll never know, okay? Could have stolen it, could have earned it. Maybe he sold, like, my own things at a thrift store. I don't know. I don't know what had A pawn shop, I have no idea, okay? But what I do know is he convinced me that what he needed more than anything else on earth was a stomp pad for his skim board, Yep. That gets the kids every time. So if you don't know, a skim board is a little, a little board, looks like a surfboard without fins, that you slide on the sand and you hit a wave and then you, sh- you surf that wave back in. The stomp pad is a piece of rubber that goes on the board so your foot doesn't slip off. Now stay with me because what I would hate to happen is that you only remember the story and not why I'm telling the story. Because from the moment I put that in my cart and over my shoulder, he made sure I hit buy now. And then he looks at the screen when the little window pops up and it says, it'll be here Wednesday by 7 p.m. And he goes, Wednesday at 7 p.m.? Are we home on Wednesday at 7 p.m.? I go, we're home. He goes, are we doing anything? I was like, I, it's just like a day. It's just like a day of the week. I don't know. At this point, we're probably like doing, cleaning dinner. I don't know. He's like, Perfect. And so from every day, this is a Monday, we order it every day until Wednesday at 7 p.m. Every time the Ring app goes off, every time he heard a car door shut, every time the front door opened, every single time I walk in with envelopes from the mailbox, every time he sees a box unrelated to what he ordered, he would run up and he'd go, is it here? Mind you, the thing that he ordered 90% of you had no idea what it was. Like you had no idea what I was talking about. But to Max, this was the most exciting part of his week. He was so excited for this to come. Why do I share that story? I share that story because what we're reading here in John 1 verses 19 through 25 is a story that if you don't see it, you'll miss. Because what's happening Underneath the surface of this passage here is an anticipation of something that is coming. John the Baptist, who we see here in verse 19. Open your Bible, look back at verse 19. It says, now this was John's testimony. So John the Baptist is not the same John that writes the Gospel of John. John the Baptist is like a distant relative of Jesus. In fact, John the Baptist's mother and Jesus' mother were pregnant at the same time, about six months apart. It's said in the beginning of the other gospels that when Mary, Jesus' mother, came around John the Baptist's mom, John the Baptist would kick in his mother's stomach because he was so excited to meet this distant relative. Strange, right? And now we see here in verse 19 that this John the Baptist character, whose scripture describes in such an incredible way. The Bible describes John the Baptist as a guy who walks around wearing a vest made of camel fur. You ever seen a camel fur vest before? It tells us that that John the Baptist would wander around the desert eating locusts, which is like a grasshopper dipped in honey. That was like his food. Just, hmm Oh, grasshoppers are great this time of year. Don't you guys agree? But here's the deal. John the Baptist, if you read through the first 18 verses in the book of John, John the Baptist had a role. Stick with me here. Don't don't let me lose you, okay? I promise I will do my best to explain this. John the Baptist had a role. John the Baptist's role in the ministry of Jesus was to be that guy who reminded everybody he came in contact with, he's coming, You have to understand that Jesus is coming. And so John would go so far as to baptize people in the name of God in the Jordan River. Now John had been doing this activity for so long that the religious leaders during his day were confused by this. And now we pick up the verse where we just read, because it tells us that this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. John was stirring up such a scene that the pastors and the church leaders during Jesus's day went to go, who are you? What you're doing is incredibly disruptive. What you're doing is very strange and odd, but it reminds us of something that we've studied since we could read. Will you please tell us who you are? John the Baptist replies in verse 20. It says, He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely I'm not the Messiah. Now this is one of those moments where we have to really apply our minds to what we're reading in scripture because something is happening here and I would hate for you to miss it. What's happening here is that there are a group of people who like my son waiting for his Amazon box to come have been waiting for years, for decades, for centuries, For a millennia, that's 2,000 years for an activity to happen. They'd been waiting. And John comes and he bore a resemblance, and the things he was doing reminded them of Bible verses that they had read when they were young. And so these church leaders go to John and go, Are you the guy? You see, what was happening here is, in Jewish culture, when you were young, you would memorize the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. You would memorize all of that. Your faith was very core to your identity. It was very core to your ethnicity. And so Jewish men would have known the first five verses of Scripture, or first five books of Scripture, first five books of the Old Testament. And within the first five books of the Old Testament, there are promises made. Promises that ensure that one day a Messiah was going to come to make right mankind's sinfulness we'll talk about that tomorrow, with God through blood on a cross. We'll talk about that in two nights. And so what we see happening here is there's a trigger going off, like that little ring app on your parents' home. On your parents' phone, you hear the chimes, and you're like, "Oh, someone must be here." And so the religious leaders and John the Baptist know something is going on beneath the surface. And this seems similar enough to what has been talked about, similar enough to what has been prophesied, that that I have to just ask, are you the Messiah? And John the Baptist, it says in Scripture, he answered freely, I am not. But, he says, they said, well, who are you? Are you a prophet? No. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer and take us back to take back to those who sent us, what do you say about yourself? John replies in the words of Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah was a prophet, huge book in your Old Testament that was written hundreds of years before this verse. And he quotes it. He quotes an older Bible verse and says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord, he says. What's the point? What am I getting at? The point that I want to make very clear to us tonight is that the religious leaders and John the Baptist had such a thorough understanding of their Bibles that they were waiting with hopeful anticipation for the promises of God to come true in their lives. They understood Scripture so much so that they could identify That something may be happening that my great, 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 great grandfather had talked about, had told me that this day might be coming. You see, their understanding of the Old Testament changed the way that they lived their life presently. I think this is important because in today's day and age, the average person who claims to be a Christian would be technically considered biblically illiterate. Do you know what illiteracy is? Illiteracy means you can't read, okay? So to be biblically illiterate means that you don't have any basic understanding, contextualization, knowledge, or flow of the Bible. The average person today who attends church doesn't spend any time in scripture, but can spend hours watching their favorite Twitch or YouTube or stream them playing Minecraft, okay? The average person today, I'm not saying this to hurt your feelings, I promise. I have a point with this, but the average person today if put into this setting in John 1, would have completely missed who John the Baptist resembled. Wouldn't have known to ask the question of who are you because they wouldn't have any understanding of what was promised before they themselves even existed. This idea of knowing scripture, of being formed by God's words, of allowing it to influence your life is exactly what I want to unpack for us for the next few minutes tonight. But let's start first by answering the question of what is the Bible? What is the Bible? Let me answer for you. That's that's something that I would love to do for you. The Bible, hold it up if you have it in your hand. The Bible, the word Bible in Latin literally means library. And so what you hold in your hands is a library of books. How many books? Sixty-six, good. Some of you are are cubby bears from Awanas. I love that. 66 different books written over a 1,500-year time period on three different continents. Can you guess what they are? Europe, Africa, and Asia. On three different continents, all telling one consistent story. The Bible is a library of books written by over 40 different authors, comprised of 66 different books, written over a 1,500-year time span, all telling one consistent story. And the story of the Bible that begins in Genesis 1 and ends in Revelation chapter 22 is the story about a God who loves you so much so that he went to great lengths to restore a relationship between you and Himself. The whole of Scripture, the fullness of this library and the narrative that it is describing for us has one consistent theme, and that theme is Jesus. Quite literally, From Genesis chapter three, verse 11, there's a promise of someone who would come and strike the head of the serpent until in Revelation chapter 22, we read that there's a day coming where there'll be no more pain, no more tears, and no more sadness anymore because everything that's been promised between this cover and this cover will have come to fruition. But the question I have for you is, how do you know to anticipate the coming of Jesus, and the love that he has for you if you don't spend time in the book. Now, if we took a wrong posture to scripture, we would wrongfully think that the Bible in and of itself is God. But the Bible in and of itself is not God. Rather, the Bible tells us the story of God. One other interesting thing about scripture is that the Bible does not seek to prove God's existence. Rather, the Bible speaks from the standpoint that God already exists. And so if you open up scripture looking for proof that there is a God, what you'll find in the Bible is a lot of knowledge about who God is, a lot of descriptions about his character, a lot of history about the things that he's done, the people he's led, the great lengths that he's gone through to show you how much he loves you. But what you're not going to find are like a book that says, here's 10 reasons why I think God exists and why you should believe in him. Nowhere is that to be found in scripture. Why? Because the point of view of scripture is that of there is a God. He does exist. He loves you. And we can trust him. Does that make sense? So let's go back to our text. Because what we see in John 1 is that John the Baptist quotes a Bible verse here. In verse 23, it says that John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. What we see happening here in John the Baptist's answers to the church leaders that were questioning him during his day is that John, because of the time that he had spent studying Scripture, had an excellent understanding of both who he was and who he was not. You see, what John knew is that his entire life was meant to be a road sign, a marquee, one of those dudes outside T-Mobile doing the splits and spinning the flippy sign around going, he's coming, he's coming back, prepare yourself, he's coming back. So much so that when someone said, are you the one who's coming? He goes, not me. In fact, there's a day he's gonna come and I'm not even fit enough to hold the straps of his sandals. But let me tell you about him. In fact, let me tell you so much about him that I'll baptize you in his name. Just wait, he's coming, and he's gonna change everything. In his recollection of who he is and who he's not, John the Baptist quotes this verse in Isaiah chapter 53. Look at this, this is incredible. And mind you, this happens about 750 years before this passage that we're gonna read, okay? He says this, In Isaiah 53, it says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He has no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low self-esteem. Verse 4, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. Verse 5, this is what he says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, for it is by his wounds that we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Some 800 years before this conversation that we're reading about in John chapter 1 takes place, the prophet Isaiah throws some words down that would come true. In fact, if you were to go through the entirety of the Old Testament and count up every time one of these moments happens, you would come up with a number that is about 336 times. So so in this part of your Bible, right here, just this part, just that right there, There are over 330 promises from God that there is going to be a Messiah who will come that will take away the pain of the world, that will take away the evil of the world, that will shine a light in a dark place, that that will give us hope, that will give us eternal security. So here's my question. If the Bible is filled with so many promises about who God is, about what he's done for us, why don't we allow it to influence our lives more? Like in this moment, we see a conversation where someone is actively looking for a promise of God to come to fruition in their life. And the only reason they know to look is because they spent time in the book. And so the thing that I wanna challenge us with tonight is this, that God's word is trustworthy. And we know this to be true Because the promises of God have come to fruition. In fact, the the Bible would say that all of God's promises find their yes and amen in Jesus. That that, that God's word is something that we can trust. It's not something we worship, but it's something we spend time with. Jesus himself speaks to this in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 4, when he says this. He He says, it is written... That man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Man shouldn't live on bread alone. I wonder if Jesus had had garlic bread if he would have worded it that way, right? Like man doesn't live on bread alone. Have you tried garlic bread, Jesus? I'm sure he had. But the point is, Jesus is saying, hey, don't worry about what you're going to fill your tummy with. Live on God's word because that's what's going to give you the perspective, the eyes to see, the things to hope for in a world that is dark and desolate and, and, and at times crushing. Turn with me to this passage in in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to close with this passage. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 say that all scripture is God-breathed. What does that mean? That means that when you read through the pages of your Bible, what you're reading about are words that were written by mankind that were breathed out by God. Meaning these were men who had experiences with God and they took note of them so that you and I could read about this God later on and have the same hope and the same anticipation and the same excitement about what he's going to do and when he's coming as they did back then. It says that all scripture is God-breathed and then it says that it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness Like, quite literally, what we're doing right now is we're learning from Scripture. What we're learning about the Bible is that it tells us that Jesus is coming. That's the teaching part. And then it tells us that it's good for rebuking and correcting, meaning when you claim to be a follower of Jesus, but the conduct of your life doesn't add up to it, the Bible becomes this tool that points that out in you. And then the last thing it says is training in righteousness, What that means is if you've ever been in a position where you're like, I just wanna grow in my faith, I just wanna become more like Jesus, I just wanna have the boldness and the courage to share about the love of God with my friends, scripture is the tool that God has given us to make that happen. But here's what goes on in most of our lives. What goes on in most of our lives is we don't take the time because the Bible can be confusing because the Bible can be overwhelming, because the Bible at times can be an intimidating thing to read, we shy away from it instead of asking questions. But here's what I know about each of us in this room. I know that we have questions about scripture, but I also know that God in his faithfulness and kindness to you as a middle school student has given you a counselor and a youth pastor who would love to, what God's word says is, disciple you, to show you the way. That doesn't mean they have all the answers. That doesn't mean that you can quiz them on every single word that's in scripture. But what that word discipleship does mean is, is that there are men and women in this room who desire to show you the way of following Jesus. When I was a kid, I used to love going to my grandpa's house. My grandpa lived on this big hill in Southern California overlooking the ocean in a town called San Clemente. Have you ever heard of San Clemente? Yeah. It's an amazing place. My grandpa lived up on this hill, and he bought this house right as soon as he got done with the Marine Corps for like $30,000. goes over most of your heads, but if, like me, you look at real estate, you're like, thirty grand for a house in San Clemente? Amen. Uh, <laughs> preach it, brother. So he had this house 180 degree view of the ocean. That means his house was on the edge of a giant cliff and you could look to your left and you could look to your right and you could see the ocean. And he had a pool in his backyard because after he retired from the military, he became a pool builder. What a cool guy my grandpa was. And one day I would go over there on the weekends and one day I went over there and I noticed that his pool was empty. And I said, Grandpa, what happened to your pool? And he said, you didn't see the big crack at the bottom? And I look and I go, oh my goodness, what's going on? And he said, I got a huge problem on my hands the way that they made my house all those years ago wasn't good. And so now what's happening is that every year there's rain, every year there's moisture, every time there's an earthquake, my house is moving closer and closer and closer to the edge of this hill until eventually my backyard will end up down in the ocean. I said, well, what do they have to do? He said, well, what they have to do is they're gonna come in with a drill bit that's gonna go like 100 feet down. They're going to fill that hole with rocks and concrete, and they're going to attach that to the foundation of my house. And they're going to do that 12 times all throughout the bottom of my house so that my house can stay on the side of this hill and not slip off into the ocean. He said the foundation of it needs to be made right. Did you know that Jesus, as he's teaching in parables in Matthew 7, tells a story that is identical In Matthew 7, Jesus begins to tell his followers a story about a wise man who builds his house on solid ground. He says the rains come, the waters rise, the winds beat against it, and that house stays exactly where it is. But there's a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And that foolish man who builds his house on the sand, when the winds come and the waters rise and the rain rains down on that house, it's going to be washed away. Jesus says that anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them is like a person building their house on a solid foundation. But here's the catch where is it easier to dig a hole, in sand or in stone? And far too often, we take the easy road when we're trying to build up the foundation of our faith. We take the easy route as opposed to putting in the work to build our foundation on the unchanging, never-ending promises of God that are found all throughout scripture. And my friend, those promises of God are what gave the Pharisees and John the Baptist the eyes to look for and to hope for and to long for a Messiah who would come and make things right with God. Maybe where you sit today is in a place where your perspective is only on the immediate things around you. I wish I had more friends. I'm having a hard time in school. I'm being bullied. Things at home are rough. Terrible situations that you face. My goal is not to belittle those things. But what I do want to say is, Jesus himself calls you wise when you build your life on the firm foundation of his teachings. He goes so far as to say that building your life on his words gives you a foundation that cannot be shaken, that is secure, that will last a lifetime. So the question I want to ask you as we end our time together tonight is what are you allowing to influence your life? Because where you spend your time is what's going to ultimately form your thinking and your behavior. And if you're someone like me, who desperately wants to be more like Christ, who desperately wants to set my hope on that day where the clouds will part and he'll come down and call us home away from this mess of a world that we live in. The thing that makes my heart beat and long for that day is when I spend time in scripture and I see how many times his promises have come true. What influences your life? Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for tonight. Thank you for these students for their attention. God, we're talking about deep things. We're talking about things that, that can absolutely be confusing. And so would you help us, God, to find clarity and to find comfort in your word, the Bible verses that we've read tonight? Pray for the conversations that'll happen throughout the next day around scripture and the place of the Bible in our lives. God, help us to help us to know that that it is trustworthy that it gives us a written account of you, Lord, of how much you love us and how for thousands of years you have been in pursuit of our souls. We thank you for the tools and the gifts that you've given us to understand you better. We pray, God, that you would give us the discipline and the attentiveness to do our best at learning and growing and understanding better who you are. It's in your name we pray, amen.